Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in a passage in Mark chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have this version, the ESV version, which is what we use uh, at Bergen Park, you're free to grab one. It's right there in the, hopefully around you, in the pew in front of you, not pew, chair. It's kind of dating myself. Uh, the chair in front of you. What we've been doing is we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer. We're actually going to, you thought last week we were done, um, but we got one more week because the guy who was going to come and preach for us, he got delayed by a week. So we're going we're to lengthen this just a little bit. See, last week what we looked at is uh, we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That when you face challenges, and this is a question I want to throw at you, as you face challenges in life, trials, difficulties, how do you, uh, first of all, approach those trials, and what do you think needs to change? Because when problems come, I think we all have this idea of what has to change. And maybe you're walking through a situation right now, a trial, a test, and Scripture often will use the same word to define temptation, trial, and test in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's all the same word because it depends on how we respond. That something will come into our lives and it's either a trial, it's either a test or a temptation based on the way we respond to it. But when you're facing something in your life that's overwhelming, maybe it's pressing, it's causing stress, it's pushing the margins of your life in together. Because often when stress comes, all the margin that you saved up to try to uh, create that balance so that when trials come, all that margin sucks up and all the stress begins to push in and you feel that pressure and that heat. How do you respond and what do you think the challenge is when you're facing those kinds of trials? Well, see, in Mark chapter 7, we're jumping off this idea of, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because what Jesus is saying is as trials come, as tests come, Father, lead me away from evil. Lead me away from temptation. Because the greatest challenge in our trials is not the pain, it's not the inconvenience, it's the evil that could overtake us. And often that evil, as we're going to discover, it's not out there. The message of the Bible is it starts in here. And until we address what's in here, we are not equipped to go out there and address what's out there. And often, and I think in our culture, we're really quick at pointing at what's wrong out there but Jesus is often saying, no, let's first start with what's in here, because once I address what's in here, you are now going to be equipped to address what's going on out there. So let's jump into Mark chapter 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 through 23. And here's the setting of what's taking place. Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders who have come up to him and asked a somewhat odd question. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? Why won't they wash their hands? Because see, the tradition of the day was to be holy, to have a good relationship with God. You needed to wash your hands before you eat. It's not an issue of hygiene. It's an issue of your rightness, your relationship to God. And so these Pharisees are coming, these religious leaders, and saying, why aren't they following these traditions? And Jesus responds by addressing that where change needs to happen is often we begin on the outside. This is what needs to change on the outside, but instead he's going to change the direction and say, this is where we need to change on the inside. So let's jump in Mark chapter 7 and pick it up in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that are defiled, that is unwashed. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. 
And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father and mother, whatever you have gained or whatever you would gain from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions, that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And when he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So what is the challenge that you face in life? You know, Jesus, as he's speaking to the religious leaders, the one thing they agree on is that the heart of man is unclean. You know, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, verse 9, said it this way, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think if there's one thing I underestimate in my life, it's my own brokenness. Now, I don't tend to underestimate other people's brokenness. I got my eyes on that. I tend to see that coming miles away before they get to me. I can smell that. But the thing I tend to underestimate is my own potential to cause havoc in other people's lives and in my own life. And what he's addressing with the Pharisees is the challenge we face in life is not about getting my circumstances right. It's not about everybody doing what I want them to do. It's about in the challenges of life addressing what's going on in my heart so that it doesn't come out in my life. That the heart of man is desperately wicked, as Jeremiah says, and beyond cure, meaning we can't change. You ready for this? We can't even change ourselves. Now, that flies in the face of our culture today because our culture says if you have the right teaching, the right education, you can change yourself. But Jesus is saying that even when we face the challenges of life, we need a source of power that comes in and changes us, not from the outside in, but rather a power that comes in and changes us from the inside out. And so if you notice in verse 3 of this passage in Mark chapter 7, he's saying to the Pharisees, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. 
Now, let me explain. Tradition of the elders is not something that's in Scripture. It was sort of an interpretation of Scripture. They would have elders, people who would take the Bible and interpret it. And from that interpretation, you took the meaning of Scripture. You didn't read it yourself, but rather somebody else interpreted it. And they said, hey, this is what it means. And so what they did was they took the Scriptures and the, the elders would interpret that and say, hey, this is where the boundary lines are. This is what it means. So, for example, there are commands in the Old Testament like honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And what they would do is they'd take that, instead of letting you wrestle with that, hey, what does that mean? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? What does it mean to honor God? They'd say, here it is. You ready? Write this down. Don't walk. Some of you are. <laughs> don't, don't walk longer than a mile. If it's the Sabbath, don't walk more than a mile. Don't pick up anything more than five pounds. I guess four pounds is holy, but six pounds unholy. Uh, and don't break a sweat. So if you do that, if you don't walk more than a mile, if you don't pick up anything more than five pounds, and if you don't break a sweat on the Sabbath, then you're right with God. And they would take these traditions. And instead of reflecting, instead of taking the law into their heart and kind of ruminating on it, focusing on it, chewing on it, they would take the laws and say, okay, I, I walked uh, about three-quarters of a mile today. I guess I'm doing pretty good. I didn't break a sweat, and I only lifted something that was four pounds. I must be right with God. Because if externally I'm lining up with all the traditions, then internally, if my behavior is okay, then my heart must be okay. And what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders is you have so set people up that they're not observing what's going on in their life. That you're taking the laws, and the intention of the law is not just to, to make your life manageable. It's not to line up the kind of life that God could bless. The purpose of the law is to show you the condition of your heart. It's to expose what's going on in my life. And there's nothing that does that, I think, better than trials. When you walk through a trial in life, as Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, it's in those moments of stress and trial that evil has this opportunity really to come out of us. And we start to see what's already in there. And as Jesus is addressing these leaders, he's telling the secret that what really needs to change is not organizing the outside of life, but rather as you walk through challenges in life, are you willing to say, God, hey, what is really in my life? What's already in me that's coming out? You know, we think of these laws as, as they're describing here, washing your hands before you eat. You know, that's something your mom would say. But these leaders said, this is what God would say. That if you don't wash your hands before you eat, therefore you're not going to be right with God. Now, where did that come from? See, it actually came from a passage in Exodus chapter 30. You can go back there later and look at it. I think it's in Exodus 30, verses 9 and 10. And it's actually addressing the priests. And it wasn't even addressing the priests when they were going to eat. But before they entered into ritual worship, before they came to the temple, what they had to do was to wash their hands. So before they entered into this worship, they would wash their hands, enter into the temple, and then perform the worship for the people. And so what they did was say, okay, if it's good to wash your hands before you worship, it's even, you might as well wash your hands all the time. And if it's good for the priest to do that, let's just take this law and apply it to everybody. And they raised up this idea and so put boundaries around the commandments of God that they said, if you're a good person, you wash your hands before you eat. Which means immediately, if you see someone that's not washing their hands... That's not a good person. Those are the bad guys. It's the guys that don't wash their hands before you eat. You've got to watch out for them. See, we can tell by your behavior that your heart is not good. And what they would do is the religious leaders would separate the world into two categories, and it's the same two categories 
we separate the world into today. Those categories are the good and the bad. These are the good people, and I I can observe from their behavior why they're good, because they believe like I believe. They live like I live. They do like I do, and therefore, they must be my kinds of people. These are the good and these are the bad. You know, Jesus never separated the world into those categories. Those are human categories. You know what he said? There's only two categories. There's only those who are clean and those who are unclean. There are only those who are in need of cleansing and those that have been cleansed. And the cleansing he describes is not something that's just visible on the outside. Now, you can miss the cleansing of the heart through the behavior that you see in others. I hate to tell you that. You can often miss the cleansing that God has done in the heart of a human being simply by observing the behavior of others. And I don't know if you've recognized that. And that's what he's saying to these leaders. You guys observe all these commandments and traditions, but you're ignoring God's intention. You know there's a guy back in Texas, and hopefully he's not listening right now. Uh, but this guy, he, he went through the um, Vietnam War. He was a true warrior, experienced some terrible things in life. And he had a pretty bad mouth, you know. He, he had no fear of cussing in church. And that offended a lot of people in my last church. And I get it. Hey, I understand that. I'll tell you, but there was no one more vulnerable, no, more, no one more humble than this man. Because every time he had a challenge in life, he was willing to admit it. He was willing to recognize, I need God's help. And the reason that I'm behaving the way that I do is because I know I need the power of God in my life to change me. Now, on the outside, you say, that guy's not a Christian. <laughs> There's no way. But we don't know the challenges he's been through. You, know, you don't know the experiences a person like that has walked through. And you don't know the depths of transformation in the person's heart until you get to know the person. And Jesus is saying, be careful evaluating others by the outside. Because sometimes on the outside, we look good. We look really good. And he calls us whitewashed tombs. On the inside is necrotic. It's dead. Because we're so focused on presenting a picture instead of walking with God. Do you see that? And as we go through trials, I think that's what we start to see. Are we simply trying to set up a life that externally works? Or are we cultivating a heart that seeks to know and to love God? And I think all of us, in many ways, we live this out. You know, we live this out in life. If you actually look back at Mark chapter 7 and verses 6 and 7, he describes the problem that's taking place in the lives of these religious leaders. And he says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. Meaning that with their external lips, they say the right things. They sound good. You sound Christian. You look Christian, but... With the heart, it's far from them. Now, it's important to understand that heart means something very different in Scripture than it does today. I think when we see the word heart, we think of emotions. Valentine's Day. You guys nail that? You nail that? You guys got that? Hopefully you did because it's, it's, it's over. <laughs> Need to earn some points back, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we tend to think of heart as emotion. But see, in Jewish thought, heart means you. Heart refers to the mind, the will, and the emotions. I think today in modern science and medicine, we would think the brain is the seat of the person. Because when the brain is dead, the person is dead. But it's describing the heart and saying when the heart is not right, meaning when you're really not right in God's presence, you're not right. It doesn't matter what the behaviors are. 
It doesn't matter that you do it right. Scripture is not about doing it right. It's about worshiping right. And once the heart is right, everything else begins to fall into line. And so I think all of us see this because what, what he's saying with these laws, and the reason these laws in the Old Testament were written, they're called the clean laws, or sometimes they're called the ceremonial laws. And they seem strange to us, and I get it. You know, don't touch a dead body or you can't go to church. Well, that seems okay. Or, or if you have a wound that's not healed. You couldn't go into worship because if you have a wound that's not healed, then therefore you're unclean. But this kind of gets me. If you wore two different kinds of fabrics, and we got a lot of those in here today, a little polyester and cotton, no, you can't come into the worship, you can't come into the temple and worship. They had all these rules and regulations, and it seems to us, it seems odd, it seems arbitrary. Why would these rules be written? And it's important to understand the intention of the law, not just to understand the law. But see, those laws, they did two things. One, they set those people apart from the rest of the society. God said to his people, don't go and worship people that worship false gods. He says that today, too. Hey, don't be unequally yoked. Because if you love something and worship something and your partner, they don't worship the same thing. That's going to create some huge tension in life. And so he set up these laws on the one hand to protect his people, to say, you need to be set apart, which means to be holy, set apart for me. But second, these laws were to be a visual aid to remind them that you can approach God just however you want. They were a visual reminder that when I come into the presence of God, I've got to remind myself and acknowledge who I'm approaching. Now, here's the truth. All of us do that well with each other for the most part. Now, there are those odd people that don't approach us well, and we, we kind of spot them when they're coming. But if you've ever gone on an interview, an important interview, or maybe you're pitching somebody to uh, pitching a, some kind of opportunity to someone. When you show up to those events, you're ready. I mean, if it's important to you, you're going to look ready, and you're going to think ready, and you're going to act ready. You may even, if it's an interview, go over a few questions before you get there. Think about the things they're going to ask you so that when you're in that moment, in the heat of it, you're going to say it the right way. You're going to look the right way. Or how about this? Can you remember the, can you remember the first, time you went, I get, first time you went on a first date? And that's been a while, right? That's, no? Okay. It's been a while. Right. When you go to that first meeting with somebody that you want to get to know, you want to be what Scripture would call righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to be acceptable. And so I'm going to present myself a certain way. I'm going to approach you a certain way because that meeting with that person is so important that I'm going to prep myself. Well, let me ask you, how much prep did you do when you, before you got here today? Do we think about that? When we gather as the people of God, don't expect us to get you there. We're not that good. I'm not that good a communicator. Stephen's got a great voice. He's not that good a singer. We can't get you to a place where we can bring you into this room and usher you into the presence of God without you first saying, you know, i got to prepare my heart. And that's what these laws were for. Now today, as we're going to discover, is the clean laws have not been removed. They've been fulfilled. But what was happening in this time is they were using these laws for a purpose they weren't designed And they were doing it in two ways, and we do the same thing. One, they were using these laws to separate. You're the good people, you're the bad people. And they were also picking and choosing which laws they find important. I think in the church we do the same thing today. We use laws when we use religion to separate. And yet Jesus was a friend to sinners and tax collectors. Jesus spent time with people that most of us don't spend time with. Now, we do need to have boundaries in life, right? There's some issues, some places we shouldn't go because the evil enemy is going to show up. 
But Jesus did not separate into those categories. Instead, he knew that they needed the forgiveness of God. They needed cleansing. And so Jesus didn't separate into those two categories. The other thing he didn't do was, was that Jesus didn't diminish the law of God. He didn't somehow say, hey, it's okay to live this lifestyle or it's okay to act these ways. Rather, he was both grace and truth. He spoke truth, but when truth condemned, he brought grace, forgiveness. He brought restoration. And so as the church, often what happens, I think, for us as Christians is there's certain laws we elevate. These are the important ones. Sexual purity, that's a big thing for us, certainly today in our culture. I hear a lot of conversations in my Christian circles about sexual purity. I don't hear a lot about greed. Why is it that one thing is so important and the other thing isn't? And there's some churches, you'll find this, and you'll see this through the history of the church. Depending on the decade of the era in which we live, there are certain laws that just get front and center. They're the most important laws. In some churches, it's, it's social justice. We need to help the poor. We need to help those that have been hurt in life. And they'll focus all their attention on that. And other churches say, you know, we need to preserve our doctrine. The church is about doctrinal purity. This is what's important. Fighting off heresy. And now which ones are more important? Reality is God sees them as the same. They're, they're equal. That each one of these commands are valuable, but often what we do, because we see life as an outside in, we don't see life as an inside out, so we pick and choose. And so I don't have to change. When I pick and choose, guess what? I get to be with the people that agree with me, and I never have to look at my life because you guys just support me. You're okay with my greed as long as I'm sexually pure. You're okay with my life as long as I, as I, don't, as I don't hold to the wrong doctrines. That there's certain values, and we've got to be honest, in this church, we value certain commands above the other because we're focusing on the outside in. But when life becomes about the inside out, when life comes about valuing things as God values them, life has to change. Because there's no culture, there's no church, there's no community that perfectly lines up with God's heart. And so the two ways that we try to change is one, either outside in, or as Jesus is going to talk about, we focus on the inside out. And so if you jump down in verse 14, here's how he described it. And he called the people again to him and said to them, Now hear me and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So there's nothing outside of you that's going to corrupt the heart. Now those things that are outside of you may draw out what's already there. Because remember what Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? My greatest challenge is that I underestimate the evil potential inside of me. Now, here's the way I've kind of seen how this works out. Is I'll run into challenges in life, and you can imagine this cup is my life. It's kind of plain, not very exciting. And I'll run into challenges in life, and when those challenges come, here's what happens. There's a collision. Sometimes a collision with another person. It could be an experience, but when the collision happens... Stuff comes out. And often when the stuff comes out, and I'm having arguments and conflicts and difficulties, here's what's going to happen, is I'm going to say, look at the mess you're making. Why are you causing so much difficulty in my life? Why won't you change? Now, the challenge is, I see I'm more focused on the cause or the event. I'm not looking at where it's coming from. Jesus is saying, when you run into challenges in life, don't look at the mess that's coming outside of you. He's saying, it's right here. 
The conflicts, the difficulties, it's coming out because it's already in. And I can't address the things in your life until I begin to address what's already inside of you. So the gospel isn't outside in. God doesn't work outside in. He always starts inside out. He says, before you address this problem, I want you to have the humility and the compassion. So I want you to address the plank in your own eye before you go out and scout out all the specks in your brother's eye. I want you before you bring your gift to the altar. You ready for this? He not only says we should ask people to forgive us for what we have done. He also says before you bring your gift, why don't you go talk to the people who have wronged you and and, and address that before you bring it. Now, when I think of that, I say, wait a minute, Jesus, that's their problem, right? They're the ones that did the wrong. He said, no, if you're wrong or they're wrong, you're responsible. That's not the American way, Jesus. You don't don't understand how we do things here. If they're responsible, they're responsible, not me. I'm not going to humble myself and come down and lower myself to their position so that they might be right with you. See what happens? The reason we don't do that is because our concern isn't that they're right with God. We just want them right with us. And if we're the law, if we're the legal standing then I'm not going to humble myself until I see humility in you. Because my concern isn't their walk with God. My concern is their walk with me. Do you see that? Do you know what that is? That's outside in. That's saying, here's all the commands that matter in life. You need to line up. And until you line up, I'm not showing you grace. I'm not showing you mercy. What did Jesus do? He who is in very nature God, Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality with God as something to grasp. But he made himself nothing. He became a servant. He found himself in human likeness and becoming in the likeness of man. He he died on the cross for our sins. Jesus, who was right, humbled himself so that those of us who are wrong might be made right with God. You know, the gospel is backwards than the way that we honestly see life. Because see, in verses 18 and 19, I got a mess. He said it this way. Then are you also without understanding? He's speaking to his disciples. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach isn't expelled. And in this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now again, in his his world, there were certain things that could make you clean and unclean. One of those things were the things they ate. Which is hard to imagine a community of people not eating bacon. You know, that's, that's, I don't know. That'd be a difficult thing to swallow. Not eating shellfish. Now, some of you probably are okay with that. That's not as bad. But there were certain things that you brought in your body, and it was seen as unclean. Again, what they did was instead of seeing these as an illustration of what we need, meaning as something that was pointing to a need internally, they saw them simply as externally, and they never examined the condition of the heart. There was selective obedience And so in Mark chapter 7, 9, he's saying all foods are clean. And so here's the challenge as we close. All of us are looking to something to make us feel clean. And it's not Jesus. That's just the nature of life. Whether you're religious or not, there is a law in your life that says, well, I haven't done that. Well, I'm not as bad as that. Well, I I do do these things. We all, religious and non-religious, have these laws in our heart. And if I measure up, I'm clean. What Jesus is saying is there's no one clean externally. Rather, all of us need to humble ourselves before God. Because, see, the purpose of the clean laws were, again, not to just be an external checklist, but rather to point us the way to Christ. 
that Jesus is the only one in the end who can make us clean. And when Jesus makes you clean, the reality is you're clean. Now, we don't believe that. And let me kind of prove to you that we don't. I'll use my own life if that's okay. I often walk very unclean. And what I mean is not in my behavior, but in the way I think about God. Now, let me explain. As a pastor, one of the um, heroes I have in my faith is a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, the reason I love Spurgeon is if you've ever read a Spurgeon sermon, this guy could write. And he was like 17, 18, 19, stuff that today just blows my mind that this young man could write these things. And he gathered the first megachurch before there was megachurches and lights and fog. He had no fog machines, none of that good stuff, right? No great music. I mean, it was a very traditional setting, and he gathered tens of thousands of people. And this was a man that was racked with depression. He knew the darkness in his own life. He knew the struggle that he had. So there was this conflict. On the one hand, he was very successful, but internally he was broken. And here's what he said as he was writing to pastors. He said, don't preach the gospel to save your soul. I describe it this way. Don't preach the gospel to make yourself clean. Because here's the challenge, at least for ministry. And I imagine this applies to every area of life. When the church is growing and you're doing well, you feel pretty clean. When people like what you say and they're responding and people are growing and coming and excited, you feel pretty good. When things go well, you feel well. And sometimes you translate that wellness to God. Here's a challenge all of you need to see. Just because somebody can speak well, it doesn't mean they're well. Just because you're gifted, it doesn't mean you're graced. And there's a lot of people in churches like me, and it could be me, who on the outside, it's clean. That does not reflect the inside. It doesn't always reflect the inside. Now, eventually you're going to see through their words that there's a corruption in their heart. But the outside isn't enough. And I know in my own life, when things are going well in certain areas, I feel good. And I don't feel convicted before God. But when things are going bad, when people don't like what you say, when they don't come back the next week, and you wonder, did I do something? What happened? In those moments, you start to feel unclean. Because you're evaluating life by the outside. And I think every one of us has that. I think sometimes it can be our kids. If our kids are doing well, I feel really clean. I don't feel like I need to repent. I don't feel like I need to humble myself. Hey, everything's good. But when they're not doing well, I feel, I feel broken. And in life, our culture is constantly throwing up things up to you and saying, hey, hit this softball. This will make you clean. This will make you clean. And some churches will say, if you have enough money, you're clean. If you have enough faith, you're clean. But Jesus is saying the only thing that can cause you to be clean is him. Now, that's a challenge because often in life, I walk pretty unclean. And the way I argue and the way I talk sometimes, the way I think, I know there's a brokenness inside of me. But see, in God's sight, I can always approach him because he sees me. And here's how scripture in Ephesians 1 calls it. He says we are holy and blameless in his sight. And I think he's got some bad sight. God, you're not seeing too. You, you need to get those eyes checked because I am not holy and blameless. But he's saying I'm holy and blameless in his sight that when, when the Father sees us, he declares us clean because he doesn't see us according to us. He sees us according to Jesus. And when the Father looks at us, he sees the love of Jesus coming back to him. When the Father looks at us, he sees the obedience of Jesus coming back to him. You know why we run from God when we're not doing well? Because we don't stand clean in his sight. You know what's going to change your life? You know what's going to really change your life is when you find yourself in those times of temptation and brokenness, running to the Father and saying, God, I cannot believe right now 
that even though I'm acting this way, you call me clean. That's going to cause you to stop doing the things that you do. Not sin management. It's called worship. It's recognizing this is my identity before the Father. He sees me as if I had done everything Jesus had done. And when that begins to become the story of your heart, and it's not your success as a pastor or your failure, it's not your money, it's not your kids, but your identity is wrapped up in the sacrifice that Christ has made, you're going to start walking out in ways that not to get things from people, but rather just simply to serve them so that they may encounter the same kind of love that God himself has shown to you. Hey, listen, no matter what the challenges you're facing, here's the idea. we got to take our hearts back before the Father. we got to not trust so much what we see, and we need to open our heart to the Father and say, God, in this day, in this season, create in me a clean heart. Father, you show me the things in my life that need to change, and then help me to acknowledge that I can't change them by just orchestrating the externals. I need to let you do something internal that begins to change the heart. Would you come in and take this heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh? And God, would you give me the ability through the power of the Spirit to obey you? Because see, it's not just about non-Christians and Christians. It's about Christians. And the reason that we fail to obey God is often we don't rely on his power and we don't allow him to do the work that's necessary so that the change can happen. It always begins with him. It always begins with him. Hey, good to see you guys this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for those words, as the psalmist says, that would we fight, Lord, to pray this on a regular basis, create in us, Father, a clean heart. Lord, help us not to just listen to the culture of our day, whether it's even the culture of the church, because sometimes the church can be far from you in the culture it sets up, but rather through the Spirit, hearing your voice and through the Word of God, not holding up traditions, but instead, Father, they're saying, would you search us and know us? Would you know our heart? Would, if there's anything in us that you want to change, Lord, would you enable us to humble ourselves and say, God, before the world is going to be changed, would you begin to do that work in us? And Lord, I thank you that the more we see our sin, the more we see your love and grace. That we never are led to despair because if you died for us and we're willing to go to the cross, then seeing our sin just shows you a deeper vista of the passion you had for us to draw us to the Father. And so if somebody's here this morning and they're walking through what they see as the valley of the shadow of death, Father, would you remind them that you're with them because they're already clean and that you've called them holy and blameless in your sight. And so, Father, enable us to rest in our identity in you so that we might walk into this world so that others might see and truly the kingdom has come and your will can be done. Help us, Father, in this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You please uh, stand as we respond and worship.
Father, I thank you that you took away the spirit of fear. You've given us a spirit of adoption to know that through faith in Christ, we are the children of God. And Father, would you enable the spirit just to, to remind us and cry out, Abba, Father, that we want to know the Father because the spirit is dwelling in us. And so, Lord, help us in this church. And I pray for Bergen Park that we would never set up traditions that keep the heart of man from the will of God. Father, we would never set up just a, a way of doing things as, as, a, as a reflection that we know you, but instead a desire to worship you and, Father, to have a clean heart in your presence that comes from knowing that through faith in Jesus we are forgiven, adopted, and received. And so in that truth, Lord, may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, may the love that comes from knowing God the Father and the power and enablement of the Holy Spirit guide us this week in that truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. It's good to see you.